0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you probably know the account of William Faulkner, who, when teaching at UVA, called on a student with a raised hand. The student said, Some people say they can't understand your writing, even after they read it two or three times. What approach would you suggest for them?" And Faulkner simply replied, probably with a pipe in his mouth, we'll read it four times. <laughs> Whether it's The Sound and the Fury or a children's book, a good story is worth revisiting again and again. And that is what we're going to do with the parable of the sower this morning. At this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has already done his fair share of teaching with the Sermon on the Mount. He has also healed throngs of people. So by now, he's developed quite a following. The passage says, great crowds gathered around him. Everybody is all ears. Listen, he says. This would be a great time to clarify who he is and what he's all about. And then he launches into a story with no obvious moral lesson about a man sowing seeds. And after he's done, the disciples come over, and they say, Jesus, that was great. Loved the part about the birds and the thorns. Didn't see that coming. But um, we're a little confused as to what that was all about. They ask him, why are you speaking in parables? And Jesus is usually fine with leaving his audience hanging. But this time, he spells it out for them he offers the cliff notes. The birds are the devil, the thorns are the lure of wealth. And yet, when he's done, his explanation has not made the story easier to understand. He might have put the puzzle pieces together, but the image of the puzzle itself is hazy. It's like one of those magic eye pictures. Do you remember those from the 90s? You look at this two-dimensional design for long enough and then you see a horse or something. I could never see any of them. <laughs> Would always get a head a headache. It was infuriating. But even after 2000 years, we are still hardwired to misinterpret this parable. People often treat it like a personality test. Are you the rocky soil or are you more of a thorny person? But unlike the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, there is a right answer. You better be the good soil. And so we often take this parable as a call to action, either to advance God's kingdom and sow seeds for Jesus, or a call to till and weed and take care of our own little raised bed. But do you see the problem with this interpretation? Soil, being what it is, it can't really do all that much. It's completely subject to external forces, to sun, rain, weeds. It cannot protect itself, nor can it enhance itself. It is literally where living things go when they die. But then seemingly out of nowhere, seed comes along. Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Unlike dead soil, The word of God is alive. The word of God activates. Genesis says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground hmm, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You see, from the beginning, we've always been the soil, completely reliant on God's breath and God's word to give life. So with that in mind, all signs point to God being the sower. And how exactly does the sower go about the planting process? Well, there's no land preparation. There's no irrigation. He's not taking soil samples. He scatters the seed recklessly or generously, depending on how you look at it. Rather than painstakingly planting each little seed, most of the seeds are just spilling out of his bag. His word is shared freely to all and to everywhere. There's hostility to the word, of course. There are other forces at work against the sower. Birds snatch the seeds away. Competing thorns attempt to choke them out. But the sower is undeterred. The birds may come to eat the seeds, but even animals ingesting and digesting seeds is a cleverly effective way for them to successfully germinate. I said that as politely as I could. (laughs) But in other words, the resistance, it's just part of the process. The sower is not wringing his hands about the thorns. He's unbothered by what appears to be defeat. You see, at the heart of Christianity is our passivity and God's activity. We were never meant to be more than soil, to let the Word just do its work, to receive it, to trust it, and watch it grow. Okay, even now, after we've sorted out the main characters of the story, it's still probably hard for farming imagery to resonate with today's audience. Even though I've been to to a lot of wedding receptions in barns. (laughs) But our society has also successfully manufactured produce to not contain any seeds. So, what does this parable have to say to you and me today, right now? Well, it being summer, I'd like to tell you the parable of the relief pitcher. Daniel Bard is a Major League Baseball pitcher for the Colorado Rockies and the subject of a remarkable piece in The New Yorker a few weeks ago. Sixteen years ago, at the age of 22, Daniel Bard was a rising star. He was striking out Hall of Famers. He was winning big games. He was getting all sorts of good press. But he was plagued by an anxiety disorder known in sports as the yips. The yips are when the brain starts to overthink to the point where you can't function. The yips can happen to anyone whose work involves fine motor skills. Surgeons can get the yips, musicians can get the yips. Bard's career quickly starts to tank. He tries everything from taking time off to whispering mantras, to hypnosis, nothing works. After getting traded six times in four years, he retires and gets a job as a mentor for minor leaguers, sitting on the bench, giving tips on everything from pitching grips to girlfriend problems. It's a humiliating downgrade, but these players, These young minor leaguers, they flock to Daniel Bard because he's humble and approachable, and he actually listens to them. He counsels them while playing catch like a father would with a son. And after a couple years, throwing doesn't feel difficult for him anymore. And one day, a coach asks him to demonstrate a certain pitch for everybody. And somehow, he throws a 90-mile-per-hour strike in his running shoes. It had been seven years since he was in the major leagues, but after a remarkable comeback, Daniel Bard, at the age of 37, was one of the best closing pitchers in baseball last year. He's not cured by any means. He's already spent a few weeks on the injured list for anxiety, which he says comes and goes. But this is a, this is a man who was, to the baseball world, good as dead who experienced rebirth long after he had given up. And he gives credit to God. In one interview, he says, God has a plan for me. It's not all in my hands. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I know for a fact that none of you are Major League Baseball players. But you can probably relate to the reality that sometimes you are your own worst enemy. Where are you experiencing the yips these days? Maybe it's your dating life or your marriage. Maybe it's parenting. Or maybe it's just simply being stuck in a cycle that you can't get yourself out of. If you can relate at all, the parable of the sower is for you. Now you might be enjoying a fruitful harvest these days, and I hope you are. But there's a good chance that somewhere in your life it feels like your crops are getting slashed and burned. In ancient Israel, after the crops were harvested, the fields were set on fire so that the minerals from the ash would fall back into the soil. And afterwards, animals would be allowed to roam the land and rummage for food leaving behind manure and fertilizing the soil. You see, the remains of decomposed deadness are where a seed feels most at home. A seed seems so small and insignificant. It works in the the dark, beneath the ground, in secret. And all the while, it is at work through the Spirit. Today's message is that God is at work in your life even when it looks like the total opposite. And the more that we can get out of the way and let God do the work, the better off we'll be. But even when that is too much to ask, and it often is, even as we fail to understand this story time and time again, we can trust in the storyteller himself. After all, this story is told by the Word Himself, who came down from above, and to whom the world responded with hostility. Thorns encircled His head as He died on a cross. Like a seed, He was buried in the earth. But the death of the seed was only the beginning of the eternal life he ushered in when up from the ground he arose. As the great Easter hymn, Now the Green Blade Riseth, proclaims, forth he came at Easter, like the risen grain, Jesus, who for three days in the grave had lain, quick from the dead, the risen one is seen. Love. Is come again, like wheat that springeth green. Amen.